It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The vessel that eventually replaces the aging state ferry Tustamina is likely to be a battery-powered diesel-electric hybrid. That's as the Alaska Marine Highway System leverages federal infrastructure funding to green up its fleet. Greg Jennings is a special projects liaison with the State Transportation Department. He told the Alaska Marine Highway Operations Board on Friday that the state sees electric propulsion as a big part of the ferry system's future. There's no way batteries won't be a, a part of any future marine transportation environment in the state of Alaska, just because that's where the industry and the regulations are going. It's where the funding is going. The 300-foot ocean-class ferry Tustamina is nearly six decades old. The plan for its replacement now includes a room for housing batteries with the potential to expand. Jennings says the decision to install batteries on the vessel opens a lot of doors. The beauty of this battery installation is it gives us the flexibility to do a lot of things we couldn't do before. The Tustamina's two diesel engines currently use about 150 gallons of fuel per hour at cruising speed. Jennings says adding electric power will allow captains to use just one diesel engine at a time. He says that's expected to cut fuel consumption by 1%. So if you look year over year over the lifetime use of the vessel, that's a major savings to the state. 1% may not sound like a lot, but in ship design, you go to immense lengths to get 1% savings because it's like every day you operate that vessel, that's 1% you're saving in fuel. State transportation officials estimate adding batteries to the vessel would add millions to the new ferry's estimated $250 million price tag. But Jennings says the state expects to lean on federal money to help pay for it. The federal infrastructure law passed last year includes more than $1 billion in ferry funding. With the infrastructure funding uh, that's available to the state, um, much of that is very much centered around uh, efficiency and modern technologies. And it behooves us to try to make use of that. You know, if we cannot, for some reason, funding doesn't come through, um, it is not a drastic step to remove the battery from the vessel and just say, you know, we don't have funding, we're just not going to do that part of it. The state is in conversations with the U.S. Coast Guard and American Bureau of Shipping for what kind of safety measures should be in place for the hybrid ferry. Jennings says adding battery power to the Tustamina replacement vessel, known as the TRV, will allow the state to learn about the technology and prepare for other projects in the future. And we're looking at operating the TRV for the next 50 years, you know, uh, nominally. And if we don't design in some capacity for batteries now, the state's going to have to pay a much bigger cost in the future to try to fit it into a vessel that wasn't designed for it. He says adding batteries to the design will not affect the timeline. The new vessel is still scheduled to be ready for service in 2027. The ferry service is also seeking $46 million in federal grant money for an all-electric ferry to conduct shorter day routes. The Mill Campground in Juneau isn't for recreation. It's a place designed for people experiencing homelessness to live in tents. But when the city shuts it down in the fall, those people need to find a new place to sleep over the winter months. Claire Strumpel reports for KTOO. David has lived at the Mill Campground for a few years. We're only using his first name because of the stigma attached to homelessness. He and his girlfriend have a tarp tent set up on one of the raised wooden platforms at the campsite. It's got its problems, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, overall, I really do like it. They have a fire pit and a burn barrel for keeping warm and drying out wet clothes. 
David knows the camp is closing down, but he doesn't have a plan for where to stay next. I don't know. You know, I stayed, I stayed in the woods last year. They stayed in a tarp tent similar to the one they have set up here for eight months. He said last winter, the snow got pretty high around their tent, and it was really hard to keep things dry. Yeah, but we survived. It would have been easy to do if I had a stove and water. That's part of the reason the camp closes. The road up to the mill campground isn't serviced over the winter, so it's not possible to haul water and service the toilets up there. Dave Gosnell was on site Monday cleaning up leftover tarps and other belongings that people didn't take along when they moved out. He works for the city's Parks and Recreation Department, which maintains the campground. Even camping out in the summer in southeast Alaska is challenging with all the rain we get. He says the city only leases the campground for the summer because the rest of the year it's too difficult to manage. Plus, he said, it's dangerous. Certainly um, in the winter it it becomes, uh, you know, life-threatening potentially with cold weather and uh, snow. And, um, you know, tents would collapse under snow weight potentially. The Glory Hall, Juno's shelter, is getting ready for some people from the camp to stay there. Here's Luke Roman, one of the managers. Yep, people are planning on coming here. We've already had a few people come and ask about space here. Um, and what we tell them is we're very full, but we'll do what we can. He says there's high demand for beds and sleeping spaces in the winter months. Juno also has a warming shelter run by a local church. Its doors don't open until the temperature starts to dip below freezing. The church is still hiring staff and will likely open when temperatures get into the mid-30s. The city will finish closing camp down this week with plans to reopen in April. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strempel. The annual Elders and Youth Conference was back in person this week after two virtual years because of the pandemic. First, Alaskans Institute puts on the event that celebrates Alaska native language and culture. And as Alaska Public Media's Katie Anastas reports, the first day's attendees say it's good to be back. 23-year-old Kungana Gabe Canfield is one of two youth guides at the Elders and Youth Conference. She says the excitement at the Denina Center is palpable. Yesterday we had our warming of the hands at the Alaska Native Heritage Center, and it was just blown away. We had to order more food right in the middle of the event because it was just so full. We had to open up the theater and put more tables up. More than 800 people attended the first day of the conference, which brings together Alaska Native youth and elders from across the state. The three-day event includes workshops on voting, Alaska Native education, and preventing missing persons. Attendees can also practice Alaska Native languages, learn how to cut and pickle fish, and help build a canoe. Monday morning's events included a speech from 19-year-old Christiana Edwards. She's Slinkit from Juneau and attends Gallaudet University for the deaf and hard of hearing. In her speech, she said the pandemic highlighted the importance of community. You can't paddle a canoe very far by yourself. You might make it into the water, but to turn and steer to the, to make sure you're going to the right direction, you need a group of people for that. A group of people who are dedicated to the same goal and same destination. Working together also applies to the natural world, she said. Record low salmon runs throughout the state and the September storm in western Alaska left many Alaska Native families without subsistence salmon. At the end of her speech, she received a standing ovation. We can fight through difficulties the way our grandparents did for us. We can't paddle these canoes alone. Will you paddle with me? 
Will you be my relative? I'll promise to be yours. Gonna cheese. Thank you. That message rang true for Mamak Linda Jewell. She's visiting Anchorage from Kotzebue for the conference. She says past generations valued connecting with each other and treating everyone like family. She's glad to see young people like Edwards asking for that again. It used to be like that with our elders. They helped and reached out to people and found a way to be a relative in one way or another. And over time, that is kind of dipped, got lost, but it's coming back strongly. She says being at the conference in person for the first time in two years makes that connection more possible. In an effort to protect elders, the First Alaskans Institute required proof of vaccination from attendees. Mamak looks down at the tan wristband she got at the check-in table. It's so nice to be out and about and, and to wear these and know we're okay. For Calvin Harry, the return to an in-person conference means business is booming. He's one of several vendors at the conference, and he sells beaded earrings, ponchos, and other clothing. I bring a lot of uh, Pacific Northwest designs, like ravens, hummingbirds, <laughs> eagles, killer whales, bears, wolves. He's been coming up from Vancouver Island every year for nearly two decades, packing whatever merchandise he can fit into a suitcase. He says this year, people are especially excited to buy from vendors outside their communities. They see something, they don't hesitate. They say, I'll take this, I'll take this, I'll take this. And I'll thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know? Conference organizer Gloria Wolf says the gathering feels especially important as communities continue to recover from the pandemic. It feels incredibly soothing and um, exciting to just hug everybody and be present in the space and to uplift one another and to see who made it to the other side and who didn't, who is here now and who can't be here. And, um, it, and it's just, it feels really nice to stand in a room full of Indigenous people who are celebrating our identity. That celebration continues at the Denina Center in Anchorage through Wednesday afternoon. The First Alaskans Institute is also live-streaming the event on YouTube, Facebook, and their website. The Alaska Federation of Natives Convention starts Thursday. In Anchorage, I'm Katie Anastas. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. And now taking a look at the weather for Sitka for today, Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. Today, showers. The rain could be heavy at times. Highs near 52. Southwest winds 25 to 30 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 60 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 100%. New precipitation amounts between 3 quarters and 1 inch possible. You're tuned in to your community radio station, Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Good morning. Thank mm-hmm. you.